0: There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.
1: Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds.
0: Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right?
2: 007. Welcome everyone to the Really 007 podcast for this special episode focusing on a very exciting new Bond book. Well, fairly new, it's been out a few weeks now. It's on his Majesty's Secret Service by Charlie Hickson. So to celebrate the release of the latest Bond novel, we've teamed up with a few chaps who know a thing or two about the 007 books. But first, thank you for listening, sharing, rating and recommending our episodes. We're on social media, at Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And you can hear our podcast and listen in at places such as iTunes, Spotify and our website with our PodDojo network. We've also got our YouTube channel where you can see some videos which are exclusive to that channel. Special shout-out tonight to prominent Bond fan and good friend Jack Rawsthorne. Now, Jack is a family friend of the Parker family. Rob, of course, is on this podcast, and Jack lost his dad fairly recently. Our thoughts are with you, Jack, and thanks so much for listening, and we wish you all the best. So tonight, I'm joined by my brother, Math. Good evening, Matthew. Hello. As well as star guests, and I will call them that. We've got Chris Eels, who, of course, runs the account 007 Bookshelf on Instagram with a particular focus on the Bond books. So you're one of our resident experts. Chris, good evening. Good evening, MQ.
3: <laughs>
2: and we've got David Lowbridge-Ellis, a.k.a. Licensed to Queer, who, of course, can give us a unique insight into this book after attending the release event in London. And he met Charlie Higson there, but he's also interviewed him. So I'd recommend listening to that interview too. So good evening, David.
4: Can I just say I'm not going to be biased though. This is this is unvarnished opinions. I haven't been bought off. These, <laughs> 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 although they, the um, publications did choose a nice wine on the evening. So that, <laughs> I do I do read read the book by that point though, and published my review. So you know, yeah. it was too late. I can't be bribed with wine, gin maybe, but not wine.
2: <laughs> no, you're always very fair, and uh, there's no sort of prosecution and defence counsel on this episode. I think all of us quite like the book, but we'll, we will find out more about that. We couldn't believe we were going to get what is essentially a bonus Bond book at relatively short notice. And, of course, it was to co- coincide with the coronation of King Charles III. It seems quite a long time ago, that now. Mm-hmm. But, incredibly, Charlie Higson managed to write the book, and David will correct me if I'm wrong, in a matter of weeks, I think.
4: Yeah, it was. just. Uh, I think he, he asked for a few extra days to add a car chase. Yeah, <laughs> it's like I need to put a car chase in. Delay another few days. So, can you imagine that time pressure?
2: That makes sense now. That bit, yeah. Okay, <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. So, I mean, Charlie, of course, we know him very well from the other Bond books that he's written, the Young Bond novels, and this one. I mean, you could you could pick it up and read it within a few days easily. So, it's comes in at a breezy 161 pages. This is uh, on a Majesty's Secret Service, and we're all looking forward to chatting to it.
4: You just said her. Wrong program. Oh, I
2: did. Right, we'll do that one again. <laughs> <laughs> it is on his
5: Majesty's it's Secret
4: so Service. Hard. <laughs>
5: it's so hard to say it. I know, I know. I
4: think you should just keep that a bit in, Tom, because yeah. to do, we are actually going to do that throughout this whole episode. We're <laughs> all actually going to do that at some point. When I type it on my phone, anything about this book, it, or my phone auto-corrects to On Her Majesty's Secret yeah, Service. Yeah. I have to check it every single time.
3: <laughs> the first oh. book to have a pronoun problem. or
4: Yeah, uh, well, well. <laughs> we'll get into that, yeah.
2: <laughs> you can't even do the shorthand, can you? O-H-M-S-S, because that, no. that doesn't Same. work either. So you have to write the full thing every time. So, yes, I mean, that, that makes up quite a lot of the word count, doesn't it, in the book? No, that's a cheap joke. I will give the blurb of the book before we discuss it. So here we go. It's just two days before the coronation of King Charles III, and Bond must stop an attempt at disruption by the maniacal Ethelstan of Wessex, the self-proclaimed rightful heir to the throne, who is on a deadly mission to teach the United Kingdom a lesson. What more do you want?
4: I think it's also we're pointing out we're going to mangle many of the names in this. Yes. Box. Oh, so yeah. I, I think it might be Athelstan because, <laughs> my linguistics background, you know, me being yep. a and everything. Um if my <laughs> linguistic background is correct, then the A the back the A and E joined together is a it represents a short A sound. Sorry, immediately huh? listeners have turned it off at this point. Um, <laughs> no, 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 this is important. The, the one that's even more challenging is the um is the yeah, the Icelandic uh, name, uh, yeah. Which I think is something like Raganhe or something. Oh, I'm yeah, yeah. yeah something something like that. Charlie Hickson um because he reads the audiobook as well, which I actually haven't listened yes. to yet but he actually changed the nationalities of at least one character nationality of at least one character because he thought I'm going to be doing the audiobook I can't do that accent oh <laughs> <laughs> right <that's> brilliant yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I know Rob Rob Parker from this parish is, uh, he's listened to the audiobook certainly so oh, okay to, to get his views of that later uh, But yeah just overall lads never mind just this book just tell us a bit about your background with the bond books and tell us which is your favorite if that's at all possible and I'll I'll start with Chris not not putting you on the spot there Chris
3: Oh thanks thanks a lot <laughs> I guess my history with the bond books started in high school when I got a audio version of Moonraker from my local library, which was on six cassettes. And I cannot remember who it was read by, but I remember listening to that and loving it. And then seeing the pan paperback on my grandfather's bookshelf and borrowing it and then reading it, and then slowly collecting all of the other books just over the course of a few years from charity shops and car boots and that sort of thing as far as favorites go it would have to be almost the holy trinity for me of moonraker from russia with love and on her majesty's secret service it's a bit of a cliche to pick those three i guess a lot of people no. like those although i know David's is uh is very
4: different to that <laughs> quite different yeah. you know me i like to be awkward
3: no oh, no, oh it's not awkward. Embrace difference. It's fabulous.
4: Well,
2: cuz there's less to pick from than the films. It's it's all you're always going to get a bit of overlap on the favourites, but mm. go on David. We, I mean, I think I know it, but just tell David, us about your favourites and how you got into reading the books.
4: My favourites are probably the first two and the last one. So I don't know what that says about me. I kind of like an arc because a lot of people that if, if people haven't read the Bond books, there is a sort of arc to the character. I know a lot of people say that James Bond doesn't have a character arc. Well, he sort of does in the books, um, which is reflective of Ian Fleming's own life and what was going on at the time and all that. Um, so I like Casino Royale and Live and Let Die, and you only live twice the most. So they are the ones, the two at the start, and the and the one that almost finishes it off, because then you got Man with the Golden Gun, which I actually really, really like as well. Um, so the penultimate one, is en- essentially, in the first two. I mean, my, my experience with the Bond books goes back to when I decided, um, when we were told we had to take a reading book into school, I was in year five, so I think that would have made me something like, uh, I should know this working in schools all day. How old someone in year five? <laughs> are? Um, I think they're n- 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 eight or nine. Yeah. And I was always one of the youngest in my year group as well. So, um, so I took Thunderball into reading uh, in, into school to read and uh, I remember a few raised eyebrows um, from my teacher who I actually know by the way I actually work with that but per- the, the person <laughs> who taught me in year five um, so I keep meaning to ask her what did you think about an eight-year-old picking up a thunderbolt <laughs> which has basically a naked man on the cover with two bullet holes in his back so yeah, it was. A, that's the one. That's the exact cover there. Um, <laughs> Chris, the Raymond Hawkey cover. And then I didn't actually go back to the Bond books for a while. I'll be honest. As an eight-year-old, I found them quite slow because. Obviously, you know, a Bond book can take anywhere from about four or five hours of this one to something like, you know, 10, 11, 12 hours to read cover to cover, whereas a Bond film is obviously a lot shorter. Quite a challenging read, I think, for an eight-year-old, but I read most of them in my early to mid-teens and kind of went through them in random order, but loved loved them ever since then, really, and then have tried to read. I've read pretty much most of the continuation books. I think there's a couple of John Gardner's I haven't got around to, but yeah, read, read everything that's come out since.
3: I was going to ask, obviously we're talking about a continuation book tonight. Uh, Are there any of the other continuation books? Because whenever someone says, oh, what's your favourite Bond book? Mm. Not many people have ever said, I don't think anyone has ever said one of the Gardner books or the Benson books or you know, even with some of the modern ones that we've come out with. You know, mm. if you say, what is your favorite Bond book? If someone turned around and said, for special services or, or <laughs> Fire or something like that, or you know, that would be surprising on the one hand. But then also it's that oh, what draws you to that kind of Bond yeah, or yeah. That kind of writing is interesting that there's a real focus on Fleming to the detriment almost of the rest of the series. Certainly Colonel Sun is terrific. Absolutely terrific. And stands up on its own merits, but it, you know, other stuff never gets the kind of attention that it deserves.
4: Mm, That's a good point. Mm. Mm. You've just made it far more complicated, Chris. My favourite Bond books. And now when everyone asks me that question, as you know, I do like to be awkward. <laughs> I, uh, I may just throw Colonel Sun or Double or Nothing or Zero yeah. minus Ten in there just to keep people on their toes.
5: I think when someone asks the question, like, what's your favourite Bond book? Really, they're expecting, you know, the answer to be a, a Fleming novel. And mm. you, in response, are, are expecting of yourself to, uh, yeah. to give that. And then it might be that you separately answer of the continuation <laughs> novels or of the other novels, I, d- I think if someone said, you know, I don't know, one of those other ones, uh, I, don't, I don't know. I think they would be given... short trip, trip. But, yeah. In other words, Matt, you have a
2: favourite Fleming and you have a favourite... Well,
5: you know. I, 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 I confess and I feel, you know, I, I feel ashamed and please do forgive me, but I'm not a massive reader... Growing up, it was always the films that we were interested in, you know, that we had them recorded and, you know, our older brother, you know, was obsessed. So that that was what got us obsessed. So I think I may have tried to read one when they had a copy in the school library or something like that. I can't even remember which one it was. Yeah, zero minus 10. Someone might have had a look at your copy of that. Then um, I can't remember why. Why did I get this? I can't remember. Maybe someone, a friend or something got me. Is it Sebastian Foulkes, The um, Devil May May Care? Yeah, so I read that and I quite enjoyed it. I'll be honest. I've I've seen some plenty of criticism of that from I don't know Wizard or uh, other (laughs) other people, but I quite enjoyed it when I was reading that. Maybe I was like seventeen or eighteen, or does that I don't I don't know. I can't. Maybe I was a bit older. Can't remember. And then it wasn't until lockdown that I was like, you know, when we were doing this podcast, I was thinking I should I should give the novels a go. So I started to read them in order, and I've made some headway. So what so Casino Royale first, then Live and Let Die, isn't it? Yeah, and then Moonraker, and then uh, I've slow, sl- slow, down. So I've I've started <laughs> Dimes Are Forever, but then I've separately. St- I mean, I you know, again, this is just absolutely pathetic. I've um the um Tom got me the last Anthony Horowitz one. Oh yeah. So I've I've, I've doubled in that a bit. I remember reading Silver Finn when I was younger as well, the Charlie Higson, Oh yeah, yeah. Young Bond one and then I've read this. So I know it's almost blasphemy, but that, that's that's no, about no, as it, much as I've uh, it, at all. it's, it's uh, a strange,
4: it's an odd thing to feel. I mean, there's lots of things we can feel ashamed about, but I'd say that's a fairly odd one. To be honest. <laughs> <laughs> <You've> read <laughs> more yeah. than
5: most Bond fans. But but I have I have enjoyed them when I've read them. You know, the Fleming ones, I did I did enjoy them. And Casino Royale, you know, a bit like this is not that long. You can you okay. can read you can read that fairly fairly quickly. Well,
4: if you want the stats, this one is forty thousand words, and three of the Fleming books are only forty nine thousand. Mm, right. Which is Casino Royale, For Your Eyes Only, the short story collection, and Man with the Golden Gun. Right. So those three are only nine thousand words longer than this. So this mm. is pretty much a full length bond. Yeah. book, mm. If we if we measure it by that yardstick. Yeah.
3: What is the measurement for a novella against a novel?
4: Well, that's a, that's a, that's <laughs> a <laughs> difficult one, isn't
3: it? It's not a pamphlet, anyway,
4: this. It's, uh, no, it's, no, not no it's not a pamphlet. It's a bit like when people talk about films, and a lot of people are like feature films need to be like an hour and a half, two hours. What's what's the matter with a 40-minute film? I know Wes Anderson's about to release a 40-minute feature Yes. Yeah you know yeah. and so <laughs> it, it is pretty arbitrary what my, I mean one of my favorite novels of all time is a novella like Doctor um, Strange Case of Doctor Jekyll and Mr Hyde is yeah. technically a novella if you do it by word count and page counts about 100 pages but yeah. there's so much packed into those 100 pages and I would argue that we've got a similar kind of thing here I think it is a really quick read if you want to read mm. it quickly I tend to read a new bomb book really quickly on purpose but Actually, it's I, it, for me. It didn't feel an insubstantial.
2: That is interesting, that David. You've given those stats because it's maybe more the background that we knew he didn't have long to write it. Mm. And it's sort of the presentation of it is quite large print almost. And I don't know. Every, everything about it has been spinned as, or oh, was he just rushed through it and it's gone quite quickly? And there's this, still- we'll talk about the the media and all that and the the online stuff later. But there's been this sort of thread that. Maybe it's sort of a, a quick Bond book that's quite quite short, disposable and not really not really worth everyone reading, which I completely well, disagree with.
4: He still must have been churning about 2000 words a day to, to get there in just about three. He wrote this in about three weeks. And. We can't forget that Fleming wrote Casino Royale. Uh, so, some people say six weeks. Andrew Lysett, um, uh, one of his biographers, says that uh, has actually argued persuasively that it was more like four weeks. Yeah. So the first draft, and I know he redrafted and everything else, and that, um, but that yeah, Fleming wrote really quickly as well. He had a punishing. He had a, not exactly it's a daily punishing.
3: routine, he? He had a
4: routine. Yeah, it was like 50, what is it? Usually about fifteen hundred words a day, and yeah. then. Yeah, so he did some in the morning and then came back to it and did some revisions in in late afternoon, evening time. Well,
2: and we all know that John Barry wrote The Man the Golden Gun Score in three weeks, so pure (laughs) genius, you know. Don't knock it. (laughs) Yes. So, right, yes, the the book, the Charlie Hickson book. Now, as we've said, Charlie obviously has done the Young Bond book, so it wasn't like a, a shock that he was revisiting it and that obviously will have helped him and uh with the publishers so yes the the book the book on his on <laughs> I,
4: I, I was going to say on his and then i nearly corrected myself then <laughs> it should gone. be a, it should be a drinking game anyone listening <laughs> <Yeah. to> this, <laughs> yeah. take a drink whenever we get the pronoun
0: wrong
2: oh dear yeah i i first of all the title i i really like it because it is obviously harking back to the original novel but It is relevant to the plot and what's going on in the country and everything. I'm quite happy with it. Did anyone else? it It doesn't sound like a sort of a spoof or, you know, something like
3: that. It does actually sound like a genuinely good title, I think. Yeah, I think it is a great title and it obviously fits within the canon of books. There is, I think, not just talking about the title, but throughout the whole thing, there is that element of, it is tied to a cultural event so there's no getting away from it you know it's not just the title that it's his because we now have a king it's because it's actually set around the coronation as well it was released for the coronation for charity it is very much a i was going to say cash in but because it's for charity it makes it okay but you know we're all focused it's focused all on this event but it works so that's no bad thing and we shouldn't really i don't think we should worry about that too much it it's all good i
4: was Would thinking you... about this in relation because i do i totally agree with you chris it's it's the most kind of fixed in time of any bond novel i mean there are people who have painstakingly matched Fleming's chronology to what was going on in the world. And actually, things don't really match up particularly well. Um, anyway, um, but I was also thinking about this because I've recently reread ahead of its re release um, Zero Minus 10, and that is tied to the handover of Hong yeah. Kong. Yeah. And I hadn't made the connection until I reread Zero Minus 10. Um, and it started me thinking, and I haven't, haven't really kind of carried on this thought too much, but are there any, I don't think there are any other instances where it's that kind of, uh, is that tied to real-world events? I believe... There's there's uh, a Millennium Bug joke at the end of World is not enough. (laughs) It's getting redder. 007.
1: Must be a premature form of the Millennium Bug.
4: So there are contemporary... (laughs) And there are things that date the Bond films. So that bit in Octopussy, which I know everyone on this call will love, uh, when Roger Moore tells the tiger to sit yeah. in the jungle, <laughs> yeah. was a reference yeah. which completely went over my head for years because I I wasn't alive when the TV programme, or barely alive, when the TV programme that that's a reference to was, was it was a programme about dog training, wasn't it? And I'm like, so there are all these things. Yeah. So yeah. and it's not necessarily the whole story, but there's lots of things that root bond in their time yeah. periods. Yeah.
5: And Doctor No, the film doesn't isn't that painting so that's painting, been missing yeah. or something? Yeah. So, so,
4: the Goya, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's quite sort of
5: niche thing, but still a little sort. But of... you
4: don't get that joke unless you were around at that time. Yeah, watch the course. film about it released yeah. A, yeah. years ago with Jim Drummond. Yeah. yeah.
3: No, I think the only specific event reference that I can think of. From the books is in the John Gardner book "Death Is Forever," which has an appearance of Euro Disney and the Channel Tunnel.
4: Oh, and the and the politicians from the time as well.
3: Yeah. yeah. Oh well, yeah, of mm. course. In uh, uh, "Win, Lose or Die." Yeah, the summit. They have the three leaders kidnapped: uh, mm. Reagan, Gorbachev, and Thatcher.
4: And the end oh. of Your Eyes Only." Yeah. yeah.
0: You <laughs> <know>. yeah. <laughs> Well, Uh, I guess
3: guess for the purposes of that, are we separating sort of book dating and film dating is, Mm. yeah. Also, I guess some of the the more minor details from the books, from your previous uh, conversation, David, on travel, some of the references in the Fleming books are very, he boarded a Strato cruiser and crossed the Atlantic overnight. And, you know, there are all of these aeroplanes that fit in, which... Yeah, deep things considered.
4: There's even like um, a bit of a spoiler. uh, Anyone who's not read Quantum of Solace, the short story. But Bond essentially sent to stop the Cuban rebels led by Fidel Castro. His mission is to blow up their boats. So I know that that and that story was written after that had actually happened in reality. But and so, you know, Bond actually feels sympathetic towards Castro and the rebels. And he doesn't want to do the mission. And oh. I know that's not really what that story is about, but that's why he's in that location, and then it spirals into the rest of the story. But that—that that is so Bond did get involved in real life geopolitics in that story. Mm.
5: The Cold War is constantly yeah. mentioned, you know, in in the yeah. films, and you know, it's set against the backdrop of that. And you know, I don't want to jump ahead to what we're going to talk about, but obviously, there's there's like the whole thing of like a sort of militant right wing, yeah type thing that you know that may possibly date this going forward but you know is a bit of a sort of I don't know a, a, maybe a it might be an indicator when we look back as a you know that this yeah. stuff was going on at, the, at, at that time but I suppose the
2: coronation or like we said already dates it so there's no yeah, the, there's yeah absolutely that.
5: yeah and the coronation cannot can only be at that yeah. time if you know what I mean it's not like for an extended period of time it's an you know it's a day
4: yeah I had a slightly weird experience because I got the I got the um, the electronic version of this, not the hardback um, version, which I which I've actually which I bought, but I got sent the um, the electronic version a few days before it was released, and um, so I could read it and review it. I would then, after I'd finished it, then, or the, just before I was about to finish it, I went through the supermarket, and there were all these tabloid headlines about Charles potentially being assassinated. <laughs> Oh. You know, the danger that was, you know, all the security measures. I was like, oh, my God. You know, it, it, I honestly stood there in Morrison's after paying for the shopping, walking past all the tabloid newspaper headlines and going, this is so strange. Because I've actually read a story yeah. set a few days from now, but this is actually what's being speculated yeah. about in the papers. It was so, so weird. That's amazing. So you read
2: it before the coronation, that's... That's, imm- that's a, a real privilege, isn't
4: it? When exactly did it come out? It was a couple of days afterwards, wasn't it? it after, yeah, I thought it was after as well, yeah. Yeah. I suppose but that... you'd re- you'd read it
5: before as like a preview. Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not long before. I had to read it really quickly to be able to get the review back. <laughs>
2: um, <read>, yeah. Because <laughs> obviously if something did happen, then I, they probably wouldn't have released it quite so <laughs> quickly. Yeah,
4: exactly. It doesn't really
2: mention the Queen, does it, or her death or anything like Bond no. felt this connection to Elizabeth, and now his allegiance has changed or anything, it's very much, this is what's happening now, I'm getting on with it, which is very Bond.
3: Yeah. Bond's allegiance has always been to Queen and Country, Mm -hmm. uh, knowing that that first part of the allegiance is potentially going to change. So it's the country to the Crown, exactly, (laughs) and to his country, and to his service. So... I guess whether it's a king or a queen on the throne, it kind of doesn't matter. There's actually
4: that weird line in Thunderball, isn't there? Which I, yeah. I, I really puzzled over because I've recently done my extended piece on Thunderball. And I was like, what the hell? <laughs> I know. He was- that line when he I, I mean, you could read it as when when Bond says to Fiona after they've slept together and uh, she's revealed herself to be the villain. You know, is Bond flustered in that moment? Is it kind of a callback to his yes. war years? Is it what's going on with that line that he talks about king and country? Mm.
2: Yeah, because when when we did the the tribute episode to Bond and mm. the Queen, when we were looking over all that again, I'm, like, I'm sure he says king. Now there must be, there does, must yeah. be some explanation, mm. you, as as you've said, David, in your review, up, no one knows, do they? There's no there's no massive yeah. explanation. There's no sadly, the script writers are no longer with us because we'd I'd love to find that out be absolutely fascinating (laughs) but yes this is definitely the king and it's king charles the third of course it's sort of got a little code hasn't it it's it opens with that mid-mission type thing or just about to end the mission and then we go straight into one of the most traditional bond getting his is uh you know briefing scenes ever and i know we've got this personal connection with money penny which i think is really effective Mm -hmm. well we, we always say, if you're going to do the next Bond film or the next book, oh, we want this in it, we want that in it. We do, but we do like a little change-up to each thing that is still traditional and it still has the things we love, but let's do it something different. You know, like the Penelope Smallbone, for instance. <laughs> something slightly different, and I think this this really does that very well with Money Penny being engaged to the late 009.
4: I, I, it had to be 009, didn't it? Yeah, another, why always another, a little... another dead
3: 009
0: <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> I actually, yeah. number I actually yeah.
4: had this conversation this was another weird one I had this conversation with the person who Andy Bradford who played yeah. Octopusy, yeah. and I was sitting there and it was such a surreal thing I was like having breakfast with him and I was just like do you know you played the 00 that gets killed the most or has <laughs> something horrible happened to them what do you about the number 009 it never <laughs> ends well
3: the red shirt of the Bond world yes yeah.
4: <laughs> At
2: least it does it give more credence to the the whole it's just a number in No Time to Die, or maybe they were all trying to avoid 009. That's what everyone's
4: (laughs) like, I'll have any number except (laughs) 009. Yeah,
3: cursed, cursed it is. Oh dear,
4: just just going back to something you said, Tom, about the opening. I think the opening of this book is a bit unconventional because I know Fleming does do it. Um, he starts Casino Royale in the middle of Bond's mission and then goes backwards. So it is sort of true, but it doesn't happen that often. No. So I'd love to see a Bond film where we start in media res and then go backwards. My number one thing, and I've said this on a few things is that I want the narrative. I want the Bond films to be a bit more adventurous, narratively speaking. That doesn't mean I want Christopher Nolan directing it, but it does mean that you know, Christopher Nolan doesn't do sex scenes. So you know, yeah. completely inappropriate for Bond. That's that's just that's just my that's that's it. I love Christopher Nolan films, but he's rubbish at sexuality and <laughs> um, awful and women generally just no. Um, yeah,
5: I, so- I've read somewhere that most of his films like are basically about men who love other men but they they don't, you know.
4: Oh, yeah, they are queer as anything. Right, good, (laughs) right. (laughs) I'd I'd have a field day with Christopher Nolan films (laughs) if I started doing queer reviews of those. um, Yeah, but sadly, women don't get much of a look in, do they? Which is so integral to Bond, (laughs) you know, for more than just... Anyway, getting slightly sidetracked. Uh, But I'd like them to be a bit more narratively adventurous. And do things like that, and jump around in time. And Fleming was always experimenting, and I like it when the continuation authors sort of carry that tradition on.
5: Well, it was quite a big thing in just in terms of the films when Goldeneye says, "You know, is it nine years later?"
4: Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah.
5: That was quite a big thing because we'd not had mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. something like that. And then obviously, No Time to Die is it four, five, five years later, four years uh, later,
4: five? Yeah, five.
5: yeah. Obviously, there was a little. That, I mean, they're not quite what you're talking about, David, but they're, like, yeah, yeah. just slight, you know, changes. Mm.
2: A sort of example would be, sorry to mention Mission Impossible. But Mission Impossible 3 starts with the... the oh, I love it. Oh, the yeah. butt,
4: and then, of course, goes back to it. And it yeah. works brilliantly, doesn't it? It does. It, it's so tense. I read a, a review of my favourite... I love all the Mission Impossible movies, uh, more or less, but the the third one, I read a review once that said, um, watching this film, and it was a positive review, watching this it's like... Eating popcorn while trapped in a vice. Yes. And it was, that's what Mission Impossible 3 feels like because you have that, there's a bomb in your head. What? Opening yeah. line and then she gets shot and then it's, it is nerve-wracking and it is a classic yeah. kind of narrative strategy to drop you into the middle and then not quite reveal everything that's going on. But I think, I think because we do, you know, if you reread that opening chapter after reading the rest of the book, you kind of go, oh, yeah, everything was kind of there in place yeah. all along sort of thing. A bit like reading mm. a mystery novel.
2: Yeah. yeah. There you go. So he has planned it. I, I thought of Roger Moore when he's going on, you know, giving it that sort of all the information on um, Athelstan as if he know, you know, a bit like with the Scaramanga. Yeah. Just, just reeling mm. off all the facts. Yeah. Which is classic Bond again. Basically it's the same James Bond. That is what we're trying to rally against on this, uh, this episode tonight. This is <laughs> definitely James Bond. He hasn't changed. He's not a different character. It's just the same Bond as ever that we all love. So I think
4: that's what most continuation authors do. They change the world. I talked about this with Raymond Benson because he was, he was like, when he was told to update the books, he was like, I'll update the world, but I'm not really going to update Bond. Yeah. So although mm-hmm. his Bond is kind of a bit more kind of film Bond in some ways, especially the first couple of books, he was, he was like, no, I'm not really going to change Bond. I'm going to keep him pretty much the same. And I think that's pretty much true of all of the continuation authors. Bond really doesn't change all that much. And if it is, it's just superficial stuff, like what he's got in his fridge, you know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and that would change wouldn't it? But the description just reading it here a man in his mid-thirties tall but compactly built a stray lock of hair falling casually over his forehead like a black comma the hint of a scar on his right cheek cold unblinking eyes that offered no promise of comradeship
3: that is the Fleming bomb isn't it <laughs> yeah you missed out my favourite part oh hey go on go on carry on and that weaponised smile no yes. good. No, yes. I think yeah. that is such a good, you know, it, well, even just the the bit before, Bond turned and smiled at him, just enough of a smile tinged with an edge of warning. Yeah. It's a really good description yeah. of him. Really, really good. The agenda
2: is in the room that you may have seen a lot of the press afterwards, and it seemed to only come out weeks after the release, that, this is an in inverted commas woke bond and he's changed and he does all sorts of things differently he's not the same character so i am coming at it with a slightly anti-that agenda to say no no read the read the book for well read the book for a start that would be good wouldn't it if <laughs> some of these people read the book well,
3: the whole thing to say that he's changed or he's doing something different obviously there's the eating uh, yes. kimchi, kimchi that people uh, latched onto but in the fleming novels like when he's abroad and eating all of the local food, like the the breakfast in From Russia With Love, Yeah, uh, yoghurt, figs, figs, coffee, extra black. How many people in England in the 50s were having breakfast mm. like that? <laughs> you, know, you were reading this and thinking, wow, this what? is really exotic. This is exciting. Yeah. Mm. So how many people in the UK are eating kimchi or yeah you know trying all these different foods not that many obviously you know in the highly populated cities where uh, this sort of stuff is more freely available but generally yeah what is what is the mass public's experience of this and as a result it's considered different strange scary woke
2: (laughs) well we live in a world don't we where gyms certainly you know loads of people go to the gym and they didn't used to in the 50s and 60s did they loads of people look after the diets and are really into that that doesn't mean bond has changed it just means if you're presenting bond in this world of course he would be looking at his weight of course he'd be looking at his exercise regime it doesn't mean he's a a gym freak necessarily although obviously daniel Craig must have must have been in there quite a bit to uh <laughs> to get the body, you know, the lines of Casino rail escape me now. But I don't, I don't think this is anything, um, anything. To, it's just because of these ingredients associated, aren't they, with hipsters and all that sort of thing, that people, people got a little bit annoyed about it.
4: <laughs> I just observe at this point that um, the kimchi thing, because I wouldn't have even noticed it if this hadn't become a massive thing, and it was because the Sunday Times did a piece, I think it was just before the novel was uh, released or just afterwards, uh, and made a piece about it being woke Bond. And I'll just get this out of the way, now. <laughs> shall I? Because I, yeah, sure
2: sure. I know
4: you and I talk about this a lot, Tom, anyway, yeah. offline. But, you know, what the hell does woke even mean? And the best thing to do, <laughs> whenever anyone uses that word, and I know you You appeared on, um, was it GV News? And they yeah, used the worst... Soon. Yeah. They used the worst possible, laziest name for yeah. what was he in relation to? It
2: was just about the casting novel... a new Bond, wasn't it? Uh, oh no, no, no! You're right. Edi- editing the Bond novels. With, for yeah, those, yeah, yeah, yeah. So
4: the story was woke finger. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so Rubbish. lacking in any degree of imagination and wit, <laughs> it's painful. <laughs> So, I mean, you know, anyone who uses the term woke, the best thing to do, and I'm not the first person to have pointed this out. The best thing to do is just to say to them, what do you actually mean by that? Yes, <laughs> And watch them squirm, because eventually they'll probably have to admit that they're not very nice. So, you know, you know, essentially, if you're woke, you you are awake to historic and current inequalities. And that's a bad and i kind of know you know people yeah i mean it's just so silly to use that term in terms of Bond. as chris has pointed out bond has such cosmopolitan tastes there was a massive thing on twitter a a couple of weeks ago people were saying where would would bond have voted for brexit (laughs) I mean, what a stupid discussion. I mean, the reality (laughs) is, who who knows? And frankly, who cares? Lots of people did care. And um, actually, Charlie Hickson did weigh in on it. And I think he said that he probably wouldn't have. Because let's face it, James Bond has a very cultured sensibility, you you know, cosmopolitan taste, spends most of his time in Europe. He's half European, you know. I'm just like, are people reading the same button? The one that the one that always gets me is anyone who thinks James Bond is conservative. And I'm like, how did you get a right wing reading of James Bond? <laughs> I mean, it's just. They just, just because he went to Eton. I presume just, that's the only link, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but he hated it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but we know that. You don't need to read Charlie Higgins Young bomb books. He loathed every minute of Eton. And, he, you know, if it's even there in the films, in Casino Royale, he says, and you were there, you know, Vesper analyses him as, you went to um, Eton or somewhere, you know, private school or something, whatever the line is. In yeah. um, Essentially, you hated it by the grace of someone else's charity. And we know that's because his father arranged for him to go there and yeah. died and all that kind of stuff. So, I really don't get it. I mean, the, the fact that the Sunday Times focused on kimchi, and actually, I wouldn't have noticed this until I reread Raymond Benson's Die Another Day novelization. Oh, wow,
2: we love that.
4: And James oh. Bond eats kimchi right. in the novelization written in 2002 of Die Another Day. Right, so, I wish
5: Rob was here. because This he, is
4: not he... James Bond's first kimchi <laughs> tasting. Oh, my word.
2: <laughs> Thank you, David. this is brilliant. I hope you told and, Charlie you know, it's, at, that. it's
4: at this point that we have to, <laughs> knew, we have to um, you know, <laughs> oh, have, have James Bond's new favourite beverage, which I've actually got into as well, because I'm so weak-willed I'll just drink anything James Bond drinks. I'd never actually had kombucha until James Bond started drinking it. Um, but, you know... um Bottoms up. Bottoms yeah, up, bottoms up there, yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Oh, they sound a bit foreign, these words. They must be woke and
4: kind everything. Of But the fact that he just eats them to give him a slight advantage. And I love that thread through the book that that gut in it is gut instinct. Yeah, that is that is what is how many times every day do we talk about gut instinct? And it's that age that james bond needs to have you know he's getting Mm. into his 40s i can relate to this you know it's it's like you know it's it's
0: all starting to (laughs) go wrong my
4: (laughs) my back hurts all the time (laughs) i'm just like i'll do whatever it takes to feel a bit healthier
2: yeah yeah it's quite this will be quite a good gauge of the times it won't be just read the novel in a few years and see what the climate was but it'll be read the reaction to the novel to see what the climate was Mm. we we live Mm. in an age where People seem to be more obsessed with politics than anything. We've had it with football recently, with
4: our
2: our football club. And it just, no, no, the first love should be Bond and all that, and the character, not putting your own politics and what you think
3: he is onto the character. I think with Bond like that, in that sort of term, it's quite easy for certain political factions to adopt bond in that regard Mm. you look at the famous shot from the end of skyfall where he stood on the roof and a a skyline of fluttering union jacks is in front of him roger moore coming off the cliff with a union jack uh parachute yeah he is very patriotic or at least he's presented very patriotically in the movies and certainly there is a tinge of that through all of the books so it's very easy for the anti-woke, I was going to say establishment, but that's probably the wrong word. Well, <laughs> that's quite ironic, isn't anti- yeah, yeah. yeah, it? The anti-woke team yeah. make it very easy to claim yeah. Bond as their own, as this uh, British cultural figure, but without actually doing the homework of reading into the character yeah. and seeing that he is very cosmopolitan, very international and very adventurous mm. in his experience.
4: I agree. Superficially, you know, you take all those moments, the union flag moments. I love all those moments in in the films. Um, But superficially, you can read it that way. But I always feel like that a bit in that poster that... um, Christy the Clown uh, sells in The Simpsons, give a hoot, read a book. You know, it's like if you actually if you actually read the book and I know that you can argue that the book Bond is different, the film Bond. And I always argue that each of the films is actually a different version of James Bond as well. Yep. So, you know, and there are there are flavors of Bond and some you could argue are probably You know, I would argue that the Roger Moore movies of the late 70s and early 80s are probably some of the more you could superficially read them as perhaps a little bit more kind of right wing. But, you know, those films, as we've already said, those films feature Bond fobbing off the prime minister, you know, who actually was quite popular Mm. in Britain. So can you imagine someone of that anti-woke brigade establishment, whatever we want to call them? I call them idiots. But can you imagine um, anyone in that group watching for your eyes only and seeing the Prime Minister, who they had voted for, lampooned in that fashion? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But it's brilliant, isn't it? That's the thing, you could do that then,
5: and no one on the right or the left would be offended at it. You know, and it's 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 this difference between patriotic and nationalistic,
3: Yes. And like and yes. very clearly, this
5: Personally. is patriotic. This is on his majesty's secret yeah. service to mark yeah. the yeah. coronation of a king. Yeah. And Bond is synonymous with everything that's British. Yeah. But th- that doesn't mean that he's some sort of nationalistic figure okay. who despises other nations and everything. He he enjoys other nations. He enjoys traveling the globe and you know sampling yeah. the food and the culture and, and everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, the, yeah.
3: And, he does actually make that point in the book. Yeah, yeah. Um, You've marked it here. Page 30, yeah. Well, I've got page 37 open, and he's 30 talking 30. about sort of the uh, the far right and the far left, and actually they're being almost closer to each other than the middle ground.
0: Mm.
2: Yeah.
3: Mm. yeah. So, yeah. Where is I it? I thought, see, Chris, who would have thought?
2: I think the worry is, though, that say if Skyfall was made now, you just worry that they wouldn't be, they'd be worried if they did that sort of shot that, Oh, does that will that gain a bit of bad media attention? Well, with, with criticising because it was mean, at the time, wasn't it?
4: Sam Mendes himself has said he regretted that shot. Yeah, and he so regretted a lot bad. of the establishment iconography of that film, but but specifically, not really to do with kind of. Well, it is to do with politics, but it's not. It's more to do with party politics. So Sam Mendes hates the current government in the UK, essentially. So he said, he, considering what the Conservative government did. In the years after Skyfall, he really regrets that. But you know, I I still th- I, that scene gives me goosebumps, yeah. and I'm not a na- I'm not a remotely nationalistic, far right wing person at all. Far as you, everyone <laughs> probably knows by now, very far from it. But at the same time, it still means something for Bond to be. Mm. Bond is always both part of the establishment, but more apart from the establishment. Yeah, yeah. And you can have both. Mm. It's yeah. not all or nothing, you People know. Are
2: complex, you know, characters yeah. are multi-layered. Who'd have thought? But that I, I do like Skyfall. To be fair, is it's slightly out of time as well, isn't it? Yeah, it does go back in time. It has it even has that line. So I feel I feel bad for some Mendes there because I don't I don't consider it necessarily a film that oh it's very twenty twelve that film is it? Anyone could yeah. watch it at any time, and I think it mm. I don't I, I don't get offended at anything in the film like that at all. Anyway. I don't think many Bond fans do, do they? It's just his own personal thoughts after.
3: Yeah, mm, yeah. I yeah. Suppose. just found the passage um, that I was trying to find. Yeah, uh, yeah. Bond had always thought that the far right was closer to the far left than it was to the centre. Mm-hmm. He disliked anybody in any movement that was too far in any direction. Yes. If made him bourgeoisie. If that made him dull and mainstream, then so be it. He'd spent his yeah. life cleaning up the mess these people had left, and he was sick of it. Is with, with some of this, though, is... Is Charlie Higson actually commenting on the state of political play at the moment rather than just telling a Bond story? Yeah. Is Charlie giving us his feelings and his views through Bond?
4: I think ultimately, yes. I do think, you know, we all, as Charlie himself has, you know, said, he he, uh, leans to the left. And I think the fact that, and we're going to get into spoiler territory, I know, so uh, stop listening if you haven't read uh, (laughs) the book. Uh, but essentially the gu- the the girl uh, ragan Haitha, Haitha, whatever okay. she's believed to have been in with a i think it's a far right crowd initially or f- uh, and mm-hmm. then ultimately it's like she's, or is it far left? I actually can't remember. She's anyway, she's been in with one of those crowds, and then ultimately, it's shown that she's actually not. And she's, yeah, um, yeah. So essentially, it kind of invalidates that position by having her not side with that side, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So I, I do think, you know, on it is quite clearly written by someone who has uh, more of a left leaning. Uh, persuasion you know like james bond does
0: so
4: <laughs> as, oh, ian, some, yeah. as ian fleming pointed out <laughs> yeah
2: no you're absolutely right i mean the other thing that's um while we're on this subject that people in the press well a certain section of the press have been offended at is all these references you know the, well putin in ukraine is mentioned but i don't think most people would be offended at that extinction rebellion antifa marine le pen trump obviously the thing that seems to be most controversial is the Hungarian politics, isn't it? The make Hungary great again, and this kind of links to it. But within the context of the plot in this, in this novel, it seems only natural to sort of mention these things personally.
4: I think one of the most intriguing passages for me is where Bond talks about how people can be drawn into this kind of radical politics and he and Charlie Hickson does a brilliant job of in about a paragraph summarizing a whole day's worth of anti-radicalization training. I've de- I've delivered that training myself at the home mm-hmm. office on why people get drawn into terrorism yeah. and how they get radicalized really quickly. And there's like some really scary kind of stats. You know, on average, it takes a uh, it can uh, it takes any six weeks some t- um to to have someone go from in being radicalized initially to actually committing some kind of act or preparing to commit an act it's really good at summarizing the kind of push and pull factors around how people get drawn into radical behavior and how someone who's quite vulnerable and feel essentially people feel lonely and lonely and afraid and then they see something that's that appears quite strong, and then they they get sucked into that because it's better than any alternative. And I've not done a very good job of explaining that, but no, Charlie, no, no. Charlie Higson does a brilliant explanation of that. That is the real threat. Yes. Whether it's left or right is largely immaterial, and that's you know mm. stated as Chris just read it out in the book. It's largely immaterial. It's That's what the security services in real life are absolutely terrified about and that's what they spend so much time on because there is that polarization in society at the moment probably more than there has been in many other periods of our history and people are drawn to those extremes so that's really what's being attacked to that but ultimately of course what's what this novel is really about massive spoiler in the classic fleming tradition that's not what the villain's up to anyway they're not trying, you know, they're just yeah. out, they're just in it to make more money.
2: Yeah. Mm. <laughs> you know,
4: that's that's ultimately, and that's inf- that's sadly what a lot of people, uh, The you know, and it means more far right than far left. A lot of far right people are doing it because they don't really have these kind of passionate beliefs. You know, there's they don't, re- they're not really transphobic and racist and whatever, and they might be, but they're amping up those views. And they're doing it to get a lot of people on the side, so they can manipulate them and basically just make more money out of them. Absolutely. And that's the yeah. irony of people who are calling this book woke, because it's like clearly, I mean, it could also it could also be a, an amazing kind of. Um, scheme on Charlie Higson's front here to kind of make those people look really stupid because (laughs) they're saying this book's really woke because we don't like the pillorying of the people on the far right well have you actually read this book and do you know what the villain's really up to because no one is going to go along with that plan so if you're on his side then you're (laughs) the enemy essentially
2: (laughs) you could say it's mocking them slightly that they are those kinds of people are being duped, aren't they? They're being yeah. sold this horribly diverse narrative of the world, this world view, and in the end, it's rich men who are controlling it. And whatever their ends are, it doesn't really matter. This is just a means of controlling it for Ethelstan to bring it, you know, back to the book, as uh-huh. we do find out late on, like you say. I mentioned before, you know, tomorrow never dies. If that was released now, people would be like. In the current climate, they'd be like, "Why? Oh, it's so so uh, anti-right wing." This they're having clearly having a go at Rupert Murdoch. They they would, Mm -hmm. wouldn't they? But when it was released, no one had an issue with that kind of plot. Everyone was like, "Yeah, it's just." Yeah, I, like, I quite like the fact that there are... Well, I to know,
4: actually, a lot of people don't like Tomorrow Never Dies and stay on A lot of people I don't know, what is wrong with them? But, you know, um, but the... <laughs> the um, I mean, all opinions are valid, but not liking Tomorrow Never Dies is frankly <laughs> not. So, Agreed. you know, Elliot Carver was often... He's still often seen as one of the weakest bad guys because people yeah. don't see the threat in Elliot Carver. And really? I'm like, he's possibly the most threatening exactly. Bond villain of yeah. all mm. time...
3: Yeah. yeah, he's certainly the one that has the easiest connection to what could happen in real life. Yeah, that yeah. In the media is manipulating events in order to further their own investments and their own goals. Yeah, the fact yeah. that you say people didn't like it at the time, but I remember the line at the end that M says, and it, that it's a Robert yeah. Jackson yeah. yeah link that he that he was uh, he was lost at sea, fallen off his yacht. Yeah, so good, so great script. Money,
4: gonna take this release. Elliot Carver is missing, presumed drowned, while on a cruise aboard his luxury yacht in the South China Sea. At present, the local authorities believe the media mogul committed suicide.
3: It makes a very clear, definite line. But when I read the book and I got to that point where suddenly you realise that there is this underground room full of people ready to make all these deals on the stock market, immediately my mind went back to Alec in
4: yeah golden yeah, yeah yeah, yeah. 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 the bank robber
3: the satellite is there yeah. ready to yeah. go yeah. and in the background all of this money laundering is going on with the Bank of England yeah. it's yeah. all deflection yeah interesting setup Alec you break into the Bank of England via computer then transfer the money electronically just seconds before you set off the Golden eye which erases any record of the transactions. Ingenious. Thank you, James. But it still boils down to petty theft.
5: In the end, you're just a bank robber.
3: Nothing more than a common thief. You always did have a small mind, James. It's not just erasing bank records. It's everything on every computer in Greater London. Tax records, the stock market, credit ratings,
2: land registries, criminal records. In 16 minutes and
3: 43 and se- 42 seconds, the United Kingdom will re-enter the Stone Age. A worldwide financial meltdown. And also,
2: mad little Ali can settle a score with the world 50 years on.
3: Oh, please, James, spare me the Freud. I might as well ask you if all the vodka martinis ever silenced the
2: screams of all the men you've killed. What if you find forgiveness in the arms of all those willing women? For all the dead
3: ones you failed to protect. England is about to learn the cost of betrayal. Inflation adjusted for 1945.
2: There's a lot of politics in Goldeneye, aren't there, in terms of the Cold War and which side everyone's on. And it's it's meant to be this big personal thing, which it is, but like you say, in the end, you're just a bank robber. It is it it does come down to that. Yeah. Right?
4: And I Bond, think it, Bond doesn't do it, sorry to interrupt Matt, but no, Bond, no. just to keep hammering this one, Bond does not do that mission for England. He does no. it for him. Yeah. So again, if you're anyone is reading Bond as some kind of icon of nationalism, I'm like, have you watched the films? <laughs> yeah, the yeah.
5: Maybe perhaps we could do with a bit, a bit more of that in, in some of the recent villain schemes. They've just generally been sort of a personal thing that they're trying to bring in, you know, chaos and everything. Whereas you know, like you say, you know, Goldeneye, the most personal of m- motives, you know, ostensibly, but then underneath, there's this, you know, making a whole load of money, yeah. and you know, sort of Die Hard was a bit like that, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. You know, and 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 yeah, I I don't know, it'd be quite, it'd be quite nice to see that that you know, I don't know, Silver or Safin's probably Saffin, they could have done that in terms of you know, he's selling this virus, but they don't actually talk about that very much in terms of oh, no. you know that. That isn't seemingly his motive to make loads of money, but I, I don't know whether it is. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So you know, th- this 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 book is quite more in keeping with the the old books and the old schemes of villains gone by. Mm. Yeah, yeah,
4: I totally agree,
5: Chris. What do you think of Athelstan the character?
3: I like him. It's that weird thing of I'm not sure why, but I I, I warmed to him. He's different from other villains that we've had, I think, because he has this, or at least he's presented as having this heraldic claim to the throne and wishes to overthrow and stage a coup in order to get the crown. Obviously, that's then revealed to be something different later and just is after the chaos. But we haven't had something like that as a... lead reason for the villain to exist. Obviously, there's the comparison with Blofeld in on Her Majesty's Secret Service, where he is after uh, nobility and recognition, but it's on a much smaller scale. He just wants a title, whereas in this, Athelstan wants the crown and the country. Yeah, I find him uh, fascinating in that way that he's presented as having the almost animal magnetism to draw in those people who are susceptible to fanaticism. One particular point that was written early, the description that Higson gives Athelsen is almost the same as Blofeld has in Thunderball, with the eyes open wide enough to show a ring of white. And I had to grab that old copy of uh, Thunderball and Check, when he has that description of Blofeld, he gives him that look of the eyes open wide with the white around it, hypnotical fanatical eyes, is compared to Mussolini in that sort of Mm. regard. And it just gives that slightly larger than life feeling and that he projects that a little bit more and has that little bit more control over people and his aura and the surroundings and I just find that sort of thing fascinating with those few characters that you get to meet like that brilliant absolutely brilliant Chris love that math
2: what do you think of Pascal Sauvage I mean Athelstan (laughs) the villain in
5: English is basically it's a similar plot it it is a similar plot it is a similar plot and I did have that that thought when I was reading it no I thought I thought it was interesting I thought you know it, it was making it sort of Relevant to you know, a bit relevant to our times now, but also you know directly relevant to the idea of the plot of of trying to get rid of the king. Like, what motives would someone have to do that? Um, you know, to 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 try and you know thwart the thwart the the coronation and everything, and and installing themselves as king is is one key sort of motivating thing. So I I did think that was interesting. I thought you know. Going back to like Alfred the Great and going historical and things like that is all in keeping with with the idea of of kind of this being about England and about you know Britain and everything. If you know what I mean, like I know I know there are actually other motives, but but this sort of this historical motive or or whatever you know this this sort of right claim on the throne is quite a it's quite an original one. You know, it's not something we we've had in in Bond before. I don't know. I, I I thought I thought it was pretty interesting, and yeah, and like I say, it ma- you know it makes it what whilst there's loads of Bond stuff in this, really Bond as in traditional Bond, it makes it you know you'll remember the motives of the villain, and you'll remember that villain being in this film. You, he's he's not uh, you know his name, his heritage, and his plot are, are very memorable, and you know I'll, it'll certainly stick with me. Go on, David, I want to hear your thoughts on the character.
4: (laughs) What I love about the character is his heritage is complete nonsense. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There is absolutely no historical basis for whatever he's claiming. (laughs) Yeah. Direct lineage. I mean, you know. Alfred the Great,
5: isn't it? He's claiming to be... uh...
4: But, you know, it's that thing that, you know, it's like a few years ago, there was a program here in the UK where Danny Dyer claimed "Yes, (laughs) King, King of Queen. Now, any, you know, if you go back far enough, you don't have to go back many generations. We, everyone in this call, is related in some way. You actually don't even need to go back that many generations. Okay, go back. 10, 20, 30, maximum 40 generations, there will be a connection somewhere between the four people in this call. Okay. So Mm.
2: there's an easy one here.
4: Trying to collect. Well, yes, obviously (laughs) it's a really easy one there, but there's, you know, that's, that's how it, that's how genetics works, you know, and, He's trying to claim this direct lineage of Alfred the Great, like Danny Dyer claiming, we're all related to the (laughs) royal family. You know, it's like, oh, it's absolutely crazy. But the best thing is about it, and I love that Bond is debunking that. And, of course, Charlie Hickson was able to write that stuff really um, really well because he was researching a podcast through COVID lockdown Yes and of course he's now doing which is really good because he's doing A King of Week and I know naff all about a lot of those those historical figures yeah so he kind of pours some of that into it but the best thing about the character I'm, I'm, I'm not going to you know this is the massive spoiler is about how the character dies I, it probably is. This might be a bold claim, and I might go back on this at some point. But it, if it, it, I, I haven't been able to get the character's death out of my head, um, I love a satisfying. It's the sort of death that if it was in a film, yeah. And I, you know, me, I'm quite a nice person, fairly mild mannered, and you know, not given to violence. But if I'm really into
0: right? a really <laughs> story
4: and a villain has a really satisfying, dramatically yeah. satisfying death, I have been there in the cinema to literally do a, a bit of a, <laughs> it's a bit American of me, I know, but a bit a bit, to go, woo, in the cinema. <laughs> this death of this villain is so satisfying on so many levels to the point that um, the first thing I said when I met um, Charlie Higson at the launch was I can't believe how brilliant that death scene was. So he actually, he actually signed, my edition saying to David I killed him for you oh yeah. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> excellent <laughs> I was like honestly it's it is it is pro- it's possibly the most satisfying death of any villain apart from Elliot Carver being mulched up by- <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah yeah
4: <laughs> I love those kinds of villains where there is some kind of horrible <laughs> dramatic irony some schadenfreude involved yeah. in their deaths
2: absolutely that could be a Bond title in itself I killed him for you couldn't it yeah
4: that's a good title, yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah, is that the just out of interest? Is that car chase the one which was added in, or is it the one at the earlier on?
4: Yeah, it's the car. It's the final car chase. Yeah, yeah I'm 99 percent sure that's the case of yeah chasing Athelstan at the end. Yeah. Well, we've
2: got some good new locations in it, haven't we? We've got. Mm. I know we've had um, sort of Eastern Europe before, but we've not had Budapest, which is very Bond, a very Bond location. But again, it's a new a new location. We've got Asia yeah. uh, at the beginning thought it was very Spy, love me, kind of, with Marina. We've got Marina, and that's another character, of course. There are there, there are a few characters, like you say, not too many, but each one of them is given quite a big backstory.
4: If Charlie Hickson had had another week or two yeah. uh, on the book, I wanted more Marina. Yeah, she's not okay. in it much. Apart uh, from- very yeah. much so. I was like, hmm, I almost wanted Marina to be the real villain. Yes. And it not be Athelstan. So there would have been a beautiful irony in that. I think that if Marina had been the, yeah. the real kind of power because there's, there's that brilliant line um which is which is so apposite where bond talks about he he realized he was in a room full of men it was bit, yeah. how, when was the last time he went to any function where he was there was basically only one other woman in the room uh, well two women in this case and and it's like that is so true. I mean, certainly the the fields I work in, it's very unusual to have such a male dominated space. I know certain certain jobs are are still you know stuck in the dark ages, but it, it, Bond would notice that because you know he's been working for a woman since nineteen ninety five. Yeah, you know.
3: <laughs> certainly, the feeling I got from Marina was almost of. Like Domino-esque at mm. the beginning that she needed to be rescued and not just like with Domino she needs to be rescued from Largo but just that there she is in this situation and yeah. she needs to be helped the fact that it's a trap is or a, a honey trap even is neither here nor there but it's just that I just got that weird sort of feeling from the way her character was written and I guess yes if she had it turned out to have been the power behind the throne it would have made it that little bit more interesting but I could have done with a lot more of her, definitely.
2: A bit like Sciarra's widow. Yeah. A lot of people oh. really want her to have been the villain, don't they?
3: Wasted yeah. opportunity.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Just wanted more of her, basically. That's was... well, they could have they could have had her. She could have come back, but anyway, yes. Yasmin, a situation ship, <laughs> a friends with benefit. <laughs> I love that I love that phrase. I always use it just to annoy Jennifer because it is very it's very love island phrase, isn't it? So what do we think about this? It's quite crisp, I think, that you has got this lady at home where they probably know each other's boundaries and how they have a kind of open relationship, I guess. I think it's situation Yeah. Exactly.
5: That's it. Is it not too dissimilar to Sylvia Trench? Yes. You know? Yes. Yeah, I think it I I think it's in keeping with the character, and yeah, you know, th- there is an element of Bond who needs some familiarity and yeah. and some kind of I don't know consistent affection, perhaps, because you know he's been he's been very close to having a life partner on a couple of occasions, and so even if Yasmin is not a, a sort of partner material in the traditional you know long term sense or whatever, I, I I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Again, it seems seems like
3: quite a good idea to, to have to have here. It's certainly a very Fleming sort of relationship for him to have. I can't remember which book it is, but there is a passage where it describes Bond's usual weekday evening routines, which, which is sort of a circle of card games with a group of friends, or oh, how's it put, meeting up with one of a few married women for passionate lovemaking or (laughs) something like yeah so he does have this sort of routine of he goes to someone's house for a high stakes game of cards Um, have
4: you got it david have you got it yeah i'm using it for something at the moment so I, i the passage is quite fairly fresh in my head so it's here it was only two or three times a year that an assignment came along requiring his particular abilities for the rest of the year he had the duties of an easygoing senior civil servant Elastic office hours from around 10 to 6. Lunch, generally in the canteen. Evenings spent playing cards in the company of a few close friends or at Crockford's or making love. So I love the fact that playing cards and making love are about (laughs) with with rather cold passion. (laughs) You know, he sounds like a real winner in bed, James. (laughs) With rather cold passion to one of three similarly disposed married women.
2: There we go. Thank told you. you How we had two premier Bond scholars, you know, in the in, the, yeah. in this evening. Superb work, lads. Mm-hmm. Great one to that as well. <laughs>
4: <laughs> My take on this is exactly yeah. as you just said. I really want a Sylvia Trench character yes. um, back back in the films. You know, she's she's the you know she's the one who introduces the phrase Trench Sylvia French, which he then yeah. Calls. Yes. You yeah. Know, she's 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 such a great character, and I to be honest. It actually makes me feel, um, I sometimes get a bit worried about James Bond. And I know I shouldn't because he's a fictional character. But I do do worry about him because, you know, he's very sad in lots of ways. Um, Often depressed when he's not on a mission, you know, um, having that that apathy shaken out of him kind of thing. He's very, very prone to periods of mental ill health. And he's got fear of commitment coming out of his ears. So at least he's got a kind of regular person to come back to. And so I was just like, yes, Mm. that does give us hope for this poor man.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Well, certainly Sylvia Trench character is a very sex positive sort of character. At the the beginning of From Russia With Love, she is desperately trying to get a bit of nookie with him. (laughs) He's... He's trying to That's, put his shirt uh, back on, and she's undoing it.
4: Six months. Yeah. Where she says yeah. six months, you know, it's just yeah. like, on, yeah. with it, take your clothes off.
3: Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. someone else, uh, I not remember, it was recently pointed out, in that scene, she is wearing an engagement ring or a wedding band. Ooh. So... Wow. Wow.
4: Yeah.
3: I don't think she's wearing the ring in Dr. No, but she does have one in From Russia With Love, and still she's Ooh. trying to... Uh, Get in the back seat of the Bentley.
4: See, so you, you've just used the phrase "sex positive," Chris, which someone who on the anti Am I you're
3: using it incorrectly. Sorry,
4: would, no, no, no. Would use you entirely correctly, of course. But the on the people on the anti woke groups would kind of go, "Oh, sex positivity—that's so woke." No, it was happening in 1962. You know, and in Fleming's Ego. own personal life, you know, yeah. he preferred <laughs> relationships with married women. He married a married woman obviously she got divorced first yeah, uh, yeah. but they were having a relationship for years before they got married while she was married to two other people so you know it, it's very kind of i suppose you could call Ian fleming woke in that sense
3: yeah.
4: <laughs> definitely watched uh,
2: austin powers these people uh,
4: i know it's kind of the whole plot basically <laughs> <laughs> <I
3: don't... laughs> um, but yeah what I... you say about bond's emotions there and that he is depressed when he's not oh. on a mission. We Higson says that at the beginning, oh. doesn't it? When he's, oh my goodness, now I'm going to go and hunt for the lion again. <laughs> Get it right. Or markers in my book. But it is that thing of it's embracing mental health in the book as well.
4: Fleming is doing in the book.
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, Fleming famously in his ennui. Is it ennui? Yeah. Uh, Akidi Acidi, Thank you. Oh, I, um,
4: I'm never sure how to pronounce it, but yeah.
3: But uh, but yeah, it's there that this this uh, erosion of the soul when it's not active, and that is what you get through Bond through all of the books. You know, so when he's not on a mission, he's in the doldrums.
4: Soul erosion is in the first paragraph of Casino Royale. You know. It, yes, although that is brought about by
3: high gambling.
4: <laughs> yeah, but what motivates people to do those self-destructive behaviors without psychoanalyzing Bond yeah. too much? That stuff's been in there since the first paragraph. Yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely. I was slightly worried at one stage that, never mind all the politics, people might get offended because I thought this is a prime situation where he should sleep with the bon girl, you know, Hyder. I hope I've got that right. And I thought, I bet it Oh, I wonder whether he will because I, will Will Higson be like? This is this might be a bit degrading to women. I don't really think this is appropriate. But of course, he did. And she was using him, and I thought yeah. mm. I almost like jumped up for joy. That <laughs> yeah. how Bond is that again?
5: Yeah, I think she's a really interesting character. Yeah, I think she's a really great. good character. And you know, you're never quite sure where you are with her or what, where, yeah, who who she's who she's working for and her motives yeah. and everything. Again, very Fleming, very Bond. Yeah. yeah, I thought she was the most fascinating thing about it. To be honest,
2: Chris, come on, praise the character, please.
3: He's wonderful. No. He- <laughs> No, she is. She's great as as dancing that line between what side is she going to end up on? Is she fighting for good or uh, on the side of evil? Or is she evil and when Bond makes love to her, she will hear heavenly choirs sing?
0: Yeah.
4: yeah. <laughs> but not this one. Not this one.
3: <laughs> King and
2: country.
4: There you go. I think one part of this book that a lot of people haven't said anything about is that This is the first time in, it certainly hasn't happened in the films very much, but we get a full on Bond leads a commando raid ending. Yes. Mm. Is that classic, you know, happens in Thunderball with the underwater battle in the novel. Yeah. Of course, it was based on a screen treatment. Um, It's not a very novel thing, though. I'm about Mm. to, I'm, I'm stepping into hot water here, Chris. Correct me if I'm wrong, but we don't have that ending very much in the books it's much more of a kind of Lewis Gilbert yeah. in those three movies, particularly yeah. where a, a whole commando squad appears. And I think Charlie Hickson himself, I think has said something like that was his moment where he wanted to have that, where there was a whole kind of operation going on that Bond was sort of the leader of. But then the sec- the person who's actually leading the commando raid, I've forgotten the character's name, but he's an interesting character, I thought. Oh, the undercover... Yeah. yeah. The yeah, Shane yeah, Rimmer. Uh, yeah, sort of. Yeah,
2: <laughs> Cornwall. No, there's so many, aren't there, in that room as well? The names, like, in, in basically in the room of bad
3: people.
4: There's all. Yeah, a, yeah, yeah. there's a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's Cornwall, isn't it? Yeah. So Cornwall. Uh, yeah. yeah.
3: No, as far as Bond leading, leading the uh, the mini army of men, there isn't that. It's there are a few frogmen from the submarine in Thunderball that they uh that they yeah. shoot a few harpoons with and then lead underwater i guess the only other comparison would be the Christopher woods spy who loved me but even <laughs> then that's almost novelization of the film where he's leading the charge on the Leparus. but yeah you're in you're in film territory really not the novels
2: mm. i was going to say the whole thing is a real good mix of the bond of the books and the bond of the yeah. films yeah narrative structure to it some things I'm like thinking, I like this because they couldn't do this in the film. And then other other scenes I'm I'm just thinking this would be work this would work perfectly presented in a film in one long scene. So I I kind of like that blend. And
3: it, it is
4: a blend of everybody.
3: What are you yeah. laughing at, Chris?
4: Because I'm to correct the myself the commando Ray book.
3: At We're, the end oh of God. on Her Majesty's Secret Service, there are the three helicopters. Oh yeah, yeah. That's it. Right. And yeah. he's there leading the charge. I'll yeah. edit it
2: so that you say, oh, yes, and.
5: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I,
4: I think the reason I forgot that one, I think, See, I'm just going to dig myself a hole here. I forgot that one, I think, because I don't think it is such a big thing in the books. You, you are, It's there, but it's just not as and I suppose it doesn't have necessarily the visual impact that it yeah. does on because you're still in the book. You're still very much focused on Bond's point of view. Yes, but in the film, it's much wider canvas, and you know the the filmmakers always show off the fact that there are so many people um, involved in this. It's the scale, it's the spectacle of it. Whereas in the books, we just follow Bond's point of view, and that's my explanation for how I got Bond wrong. <laughs> <laughs> <Forgiveness>.
3: <laughs> and that's what you're going to say when uh, Wiz comments on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. In I mean, in a I, time. I a don't go back.
4: I don't want to go back to the politics stuff because I think it almost has overshadowed this book in yeah, a whole
3: yeah.
4: mm. section of social media, mostly Twitter. Uh, and I don't say I don't go on Facebook for a reason, but it's probably on there as well. I think it has almost overshadowed it. But for, I mean, ninety-nine percent of people reading this book have just picked it up and gone, "Oh, yeah, that was fun." Yeah. Um, but you know, I think uh, Ragan Haitha he- herself says, "And do you know?" A boring communist is just as tedious as a boring fascist. Khrushchev's famous secret speech, four hours. He could have summed it up in four words. Stalin was a B word. (laughs) Castro, four hours was nothing to him. Hitler's speech in the Reichstag 1939, two and a half hours. And no jokes," said Bond.
3: <laughs>
4: like, "Oh God, really? You know, ultimately, yeah. you know, does it really matter all that much? You know, it, it does matter because these people at these extremes are utter lunatics, and you know, actually, could cause a lot of harm to other people. And that's why they need to be. Uh, that's why they need to yeah. be taken out Bond style. Um, but ultimately, it's a thrilling adventure story, and I'd, I, you know." Mm you you can't help but bring your own kind of personal persuasions to it but yeah i i just think it well i just thought it was i i read this book in two sittings of two hours each yeah. because i was at work during the day otherwise i would just sat there and read the whole thing and uh, yeah. i actually read it entirely in the bath as well so there's a mental <laughs> so i got i got very wrinkly reading this book and I think it's a sign of a really good Bond book that I spent two hours in the bath one night and two hours in the bath the other night and fi- and finished the book in those two chunks. <laughs> um, I just I did find it utterly compelling.
3: Absolutely, topping up the hot water.
2: I hope.
4: <laughs> yeah,
2: I'm just imagining you like Sean in Diamonds Are Forever now in the and then you go and see Shady Tree in the evening. So yeah, <laughs> my, my chest
4: isn't quite as hairy as Sean's. Although uh, <laughs> I, might, I might install a martini rack. Oh, in, yeah, in my bath.
2: <laughs> there's so much in it which is very bottom i mean you know you get a evil villain's lair and it's called the devil's seat mm. you know it's, uh,
3: it's the most bomb thing ever isn't it mm. I, I was reading. getting a lot of where eagles dare yes yeah yeah, that. <laughs> yeah. but that's no bad thing you know and no. i guess any sort of mountaintop castle you're going to get that kind of impression from but uh no the villain's lair was terrific
2: It's weird, the chapters, aren't they? About half the book is one chapter. Yeah. It's within the castle and all the ongoings with all the different people who are being assembled. But that was really well done, I thought. and Quite scary, and Bond analysing each one of them. The whole point of these things is, could this really happen as well? As soon as you think, yes, it possibly could, then it gets a little bit scary, and you want Bond to succeed, and that's the whole point of the character. Mm, Yes. (laughs) yeah. Are you
3: looking up something else now,
2: Chris? Yes, what we
3: do. Well, I'm just looking. I, it just, I guess, I'm just heading towards that feeling of I really like the book, but what I didn't like about it was, and I hate to say it, I just think it's a bit coarsely written. Just to turn the conversation to, right. uh, to well, that was a left
4: turn, Christopher.
3: <laughs> yeah. Or just not. I'm going to sound like a snob as well. Not more elegantly written. And just some of the phrasing that...
4: What have you got against Toblerone, Chris?
3: Uh, (laughs) It's not even that. There's references of Toblerone, Diet Coke and Nutella. And it's
4: that... At least two of my favourite foods in that list. (laughs) Yeah,
3: I know. yeah. Well, where's the other one? When he's in... Oh, heavens. What was the city at the beginning? Hungary. Budapest. Budapest. Uh, Looking around at the view, there was a pleasing and unfamiliar uniformity to the city. None of the views blighted by the ostentatious dick-waving skyscrapers. <laughs> and it just, suddenly reading a phrase like that, just kind of jarred and took me out of a smooth sort of narrative. Yeah. And early on at the beginning, Bond scooped the last spoonful of yogurt into his mouth and moved on to his eggs. Back in the day, he'd have gone for a full expense account blowout. And it just... Back in the day, just I don't know. It's just a little too
4: idiomatic.
3: Mm, not that I know what that word means. But...
4: <laughs> it's like everyday phrases, like it's raining cats and dogs. Everybody right. It's kind of a bit, kind of like I don't know. Colloquial, maybe a bit, might be a better term.
3: Maybe I can admit when I don't know words like that. But it's yeah. It just feels like a different, a different sort of. Uh... It's quite a modern, modern sort oh, of no.
5: phrase. That as well, isn't it? Like yes. I don't think my dad would say back in the day.
3: <laughs> Even if it well, just been I, in a, the past, well, he'd have gone for the whole yeah. expense account blowout. You just would have read it and you wouldn't have... I would not have hit a bump in the road like that with reading. I guess maybe thinking, clinging on to sort of Fleming style of writing. Mm. It does That doesn't feel like a very Fleming term. Even with some of the Raymond Benson books, there's some jarring national sort of speech patterns when Bond is talking to Q about the Jaguar XK8 that he has in, oh, cripes, I can't remember which book, but he describes it as, I bloody love that car, Q. Like, <laughs> Bond would not he say never. that. And it feels like, that, and certainly in that phrase, it feels like an American has written that line mm. because bloody hell or bloody something is a British-English affectation. Is affectation even the right word now? I'm not I sure. I do
4: love it in an American-written thing, though, where they do use like bloody hell. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. <you> know, <laughs> yeah. One of my, my favorite bits is at the start of Tomorrow Never Dies. Just go bloody hell! Can't you keep me anything locked up? Even, <laughs> yeah. though, even though that film was written mostly by British people, it's it's like you know, there's a very kind of American vernacular to the Pierce Brosnan movies. Yeah, yeah. Like,
3: Although but- Jeffrey but- Palmer, bless him. Yeah, Yeah. grumpy old Jeffrey Palmer. I could
2: have forgiven him, (laughs) but I mean, it isn't Charles Higson writing as Ian Fleming. But I do get you. I do get your point. So some of it's jarring, I suppose. Is that
3: what you're trying to say? Yeah, it just. Yeah, it just. Some of that stuff did jar with me, and also there are so many references to modern day things. And as we said earlier, the book is going to be dated because. It is associated with this point yeah. in history. Yeah. And the Fleming books are dated because, as I said, there are these references to modes of transportation that don't exist anymore or political situations that put you in that moment in time. I can remember, I don't know why I hang on to it in my mind, uh, there's an episode of The West Wing, one of my favorite TV shows. And Toby, the communications director, is talking to someone about speech writing. And he says, as soon as you put references, modern day references into something, you date it and it becomes outdated so very quickly. Mm. So with political writing, you don't put in too many modern references. You try and keep things general so that they can last for generations. Mm. And just taking that thought into Novel writing. I'm arguing myself in and out of a point here because the Bond books are, are both of a time and timeless. How much of that sort of reference do you put into a book? And when, as you say, he's talking about Toberones or the I Heart Budapest T-shirts, <laughs> uh, garish dolls and plastic. Yeah, rubbish. but
4: that's like that. Bit's classic Fleming, like when he's really snooty about the gift shop <laughs> yeah. in the airport. Uh, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's just like, oh god, Bond being a bit of a snob again. <laughs> I don't know. I, I maybe I've lost my point. But it,
3: just I guess I think, the point was, as much as I like the book, yeah, found the writing in it rough going. Maybe that's a symptom of the speed with which Charlie Higson had to write it under. Had he been given that extra couple of weeks, maybe some things would have been smoothed out a bit. Maybe what he's put down has is as he is intended, and this is his voice for not only his bond, but as we've touched on earlier, his sort of political leanings, and he's trying to communicate that through this vessel. I don't know. David, you're the one that's spoken to him. I'm going to yeah, show you. <laughs>
4: yeah it'd be interesting to have you you read the young bond books that he wrote i have yes and because i uh, thoroughly enjoyed them stylistically i think they're probably closer to fleming than a lot of continuation books there's odd phrases um particular words and things like that so but at the same time you don't want it to be a pastiche job so i don't know i i kind of want a little bit of modern phraseology in there as well and i did laugh out loud at the own reference <laughs> to be honest you know the fact that um bond probably would even though in the film incarnation he has got a jim bunny body i think he probably would be inherently distrustful of someone who spent so long looking at themselves in a mirror and that own reference i just thought was was so spot on for someone's abs (laughs) (laughs) that they look like a Toblerone so on the when I whenever I do make it to the gym and I look enviously at someone who has (laughs) stomach definition I can't help thinking of a Toblerone
0: now
2: (laughs) (laughs) not just Alan Partridge yeah so you can (laughs) criticize the book we're not completely here to just as as an agenda positive job of it but no I, I do think I was pleasantly something surprised. so something so woke, Tom. Oh, I know,
3: God, I know. Tom. What <laughs> did you not like about it? Come on, let's, let's open this kind in. Of words. What did you guys? What did you guys not like about the book? That's a good question. Um,
5: I, I think I would probably agree with you to an extent about those things, and I, occasionally I did find myself thinking this is it's quite difficult because when I'm reading Fleming, you know, the Fleming, I wouldn't, I don't know, I know that it was written back then, and so if there are the odd things that that date it, then. Well, yeah, because it was written back then. Whereas, because I'm living in this time now, yeah, I'm thinking, oh, this is very of this time now. Yeah. If you know what I mean. So, I don't know. It's, it seems quite hard to. Um... So, I think I was aware of those things, like that you were talking about, Chris. But I don't know. I didn't. I didn't mind so much. The danger
2: will be will the dates more than the Fleming references have. And I know there's a bit of like there's the odd bit of product placement. He mentions his Rolex watch and stuff. Which is very of the films, but again, he's a materialistic, Bond, isn't he? You know, he would he would look at that, and it's just an, happens to be a modern type of watch that he would like. Mm. I I don't I don't mind it, and I think it's it's allowed more license to be more specific and be more colloquial because it is set in a specific time in you know a matter of weeks in history. It's not like it could have been placed anywhere else. So I think it's it's every mm. right to do that and. This is the most, the biggest threat you could say at the time. This kind of um, ideology, even though it's exploited for different reasons, so that's the reason why it works for this novel. Now, who knows? In ten years, we might be like, oh, that. Mm, not sure about that. Not sure about that. But it's it's, it's a it's a bond book you can read very quickly in two sessions in the bath. It's really entertaining. I, I like I said, I, I could have I could have read it through the whole time. It was only because of you know I had to go back to work or whatever. That I didn't. Work well, gets in the way, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. I know. I know. I, I think because I saw it as like a quick bonus bond that there wasn't much publicity until it came out. Mm-hmm. And because we've got two other, we've had two other Bond back books in the last year. You're like, yeah. we're really lucky. We're really fortunate, and we should really embrace it. Hmm. And and they're three not quite... all going to be brilliant. Yeah. They, they are going to have bits we don't like, and we would change.
4: Mm-hmm. I three guess with the did... different books as well.
3: Yeah, they are very different. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. On that point, and saying about dating it because it is a modern book, the last, oh, cripes, 10 years, all of the new Bond books that we have had have been writers either writing as Ian Fleming or writing around the existing Fleming canon. We've only had Jeffrey Diva's Carte Blanche, which was a modern-day Bond completely separate from anything else written that we've had thus far so that could be a comparable touch point to this book because it is a modern bond going on a modern adventure everything else has been cripes anthony horowitz and his trilogy interspersed with the fleming books yeah. mm. or as we would uh, said before devil may care which crops up on cripes in the timeline. I can't remember now. Is that? Yeah, I think it's
4: 1968, something like that. It's towards the
3: end. Yeah. Mm. So it's all, they're all period books. So to actually have a fresh new Bond book, not counting, obviously, Kim Sherwood's fantastic efforts.
4: Pretty much a Fleming continuation, just if you kind of move it forward a few decades. Yeah, it is
3: there. Yeah, is it? I feel terrible for saying this. Is it a Bond book? Because Bond's not in it to a degree. So, you know, it's a double O book, which is great. And it's opening up the universe. But, you know, for a modern Bond book, this is it. And carte blanche. And how badly has carte blanche dated sort of slipped from public eye, really, when we're talking about, as we said earlier, what are your favourite Bond books? Everyone goes for Fleming, no one goes for the continuation novels.
4: I am now, though, Chris. Yeah, of course you, are. Yeah. Of course you just, are. Just to annoy people. And now, having said this, obviously <laughs> like when, the... Uh, when the people Fleming... start talking about 25 James Bond films, I'm like, don't you mean 27?
3: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 There's that little turn <laughs> of
2: the <television laughs> as you slip you, it in between the ribs? When there you're on go. stage with the Fleming Foundation, you'll start with, can I shock you, everybody? My favourite book, Bond book is not a Fleming. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh. <laughs> but you say that the Fleming Foundation they're put they're publishing yes. uh, the three non-Fleming books, so it's the uh, Colonel Gave Sun biography. Yeah, the Bond biography and, son, and, and uh, zero minus ten and Colonel I th- Colonel Sun is terrific, and I'm thrilled that that is getting a reprint and hopefully gets a little bit more exposure as the the Bond uh, biography is as well no comment on zero minus ten i haven't read it in a long time i'll admit i need to go oh
4: it's really it really holds up really well as i say i i read it um recently almost kind of like thinking because i read it when i was when it pretty much came out i was thinking oh you know i've read a lot of other books since then is it still going to be exciting and um it 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 really is i still have no idea how to play mao zhong but you know it's kind of like when you read one of those games in a fleming book you kind of go yeah i sort of get the gist of what's going on yeah (laughs) (laughs)
3: I have no idea how to play bridge, but still, I love that scene.
4: Golfing, uh, I mean, whatever. I don't know how to play any of these games in a Bond novel, but it doesn't hamper my enjoyment.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Hello there. This is Thomas Wheatley, or I should say Saunders, Section B Vienna. Now you're listening to really 007. Sorry, Bond. Section 26, paragraph 5. That information is on a need-to-know basis only. I'm sure you understand.
2: Any concluding thoughts on the book, and how do you think it will be received further along the line, maybe? Go on, Matthew, you seem
5: to... Well, I I just want to, you know, Bond is kind of in a bit of a weird place because we've we've got, you know, we've got lots of different things and streaming television, you know, Disney and, you know, with Star Wars and Marvel and things like that. And, you know, I I don't know, all things that Bond is sort of seemingly competing with. But this is something that Bond hasn't... has something else about it that other things don't. It has... These novels that continue to be written and it has a cultural place in sort of British history, you know, in society. And so to have to have a Bond novel sort of set around the coronation of the king that we have lived through and seen is a really exciting thing. And, you know, to have not just another, you know, not a fresh author an author who has previously written Bond books, to have him do it, it had to be done in quite a a short space of time. And perhaps there are some ways that you can see that, but it's pretty short. You can read through it. And, you know, some short novels might be pretty hard to read and you can't flick through them so quickly, but this, this you can. And, you know, it rattles along at a pretty good pace, is easy to follow and enjoyable to read. And I think it's just great. You know, you know how Skyfall came after the Olympics and Bond being part of the Olympics and everything like that because he's so, you know, so intertwined with British culture and history. Well, I think this is another example of that. And, you know, it's like celebrating everything that is British, including the crown, but including Bond. Brilliant, math. Chris,
2: despite your uh, model, you are still a fan.
3: <laughs> oh, yes, still a fan. I was going to say it's a glorious failure. But I think that's too harsh.
4: That, that's going it's on the back harsh. of the paperback edition. <laughs> <Yeah>. Glorious failure.
3: <laughs> Happy and glorious failure. But this thing—it is not a glorious failure. What's the reverse of that? It's—it's uh, it's a failure that's actually a, in the uh, overall. It's a great success. It's just it this. Spectre. A success or it, a limited success? It's got this spectre of <laughs> being written quickly, and I can't get that out of my mind, and just the fact that if it had been planned maybe a little bit more in advance, or if it had been given a little bit more time, maybe the writing would be a bit smoother. I love the villains, I love the concept, and the overall narrative flow is great. It's just, it's a little bit rough around the edges, and I guess I want I want more of it. I wish it was a longer novel so that there would be more to chew over and more to get your teeth into and for it to last longer than two sessions in the bath. I just, yeah, I get, maybe my criticism is actually uh, scratch the surface and underneath its praise. It's not long enough. I want more. I want it to be, give it a little bit more time to smooth it out. Maybe I'm wrong. And Charlie Higson has done his job and he's, completely satisfied with it. I just think it's got these little faults in it that I can't get out of my head, but I still like it. And I will read it again, I know, in a few years' time and be like, yeah, that was really good. That was really good. It does feel like a sort
2: of two-act film, if it were a film. But because it is a short novel, I can I can forgive and forget that sort of narrative structure and just dive into that huge middle section and with the, the sort of the ending tagged on almost. Everything else flows. Yes. I'd have loved early other scenes longer in Budapest. Maybe one more location. Maybe an ally who we met at some point, you know, along the way earlier on in the in the book. But to me, it, it does work in its own right, and it is it is its own style that's so successful. Go on, David. You can now, be I've thought
4: quite there. a lot about this, um, and for most of the part, I'm kind of in two minds because does it really matter if the threat that Bond faces is still current? When we read this book in 10, 20 years time, I fear that the threat will probably be even more present in at least the next five or 10 years. And then hopefully we'll go through one of those periods where society becomes a little bit more tolerant and progressive and all the rest of it. Yeah, people stop losing their cool about kimchi. Um <laughs> But, you know... I- but i hope you know i hope that's the case so i almost hope in a sense that this book kind of becomes you know when you read one of the older books and the threats are like well we're not really worried about that anymore yeah yeah. um but then uh, annoy in bond the threats that we weren't worried about then come back you know like russia it's like well we weren't worried about that 20 (laughs) years ago oh now we're worried about that again so i think in a sense bond books will always have a have that value because of because of the threat but actually i think even where, even in periods where those books, where we where we don't have that threat anymore, I still think that it comes down to whether the the story propels you along. I mean, Fleming famously said, "The number one job of a thriller writer is to keep you turning the page," something like that. I'm paraphrasing. For me, that book, this book works on that level. I think ultimately that's the reason why I think we'll still be reading this bomb book. You know. In 10, 20, 30, 40 years' time. That's exactly what I want to happen. I don't want it
2: to be lost within this point in history. And, oh, yeah, remember remember that book that was released when King Charles III was coronated? Hopefully it will be remembered for more than that and it will get a second life. But it might be a while, I think, because there are other Bond books that are going to have a bit more attention and the, the next Kim Sherwood will be out soon, won't it? Yeah, yeah.
3: Just while we're on this, one other point. This is not towards Charlie Higson's Criticism, but more towards Ian Fleming publication. I have noticed. I'm a bit disgruntled with the artwork on the front cover. Having had this wonderful history of cover art, and it's just a bit. It's nice. It's neat, but it's a bit bland. And I've noticed already that the gold on some of the lettering is starting to scratch off. And yeah, I've seen other been... people. Uh, yeah. Is anyone else losing? Yeah. yeah oh me, God, yeah. yeah, you're losing it on the back as well. And and it's just, the king. Yeah. yeah. In in the future. Copies of this, with all of the gold writing still on the front, are going to be highly prized. Because the rest (laughs) of us are just going to have blue books, and that'll be it. (laughs) I just wish wish they were a little more adventurous with cover artwork.
4: I'm done. Sorry, I'm done. I don't know if I'm allowed to share this or not, but (laughs) I'm going to say... I know there's an alternate cover. I know there's an alternate cover. There are lots of alternate covers for this book. Um, In fact, I also got the designer of the book to sign my edition. So, uh, Steve, he's a really, really nice... Chap, so i hopefully i'm not breaking his confidence here um or ifps but one of the concepts which i would love to see at some point is they did uh you know like the sex pistols album oh the oh right yeah never mind the yeah i'm not allowed to say because i'm an educator but you know you know you know what that album's called yeah. so that was one of the concept designs so i would love to see that design at some point
3: yeah, he's got them squirrelled away somewhere and probably yeah. under contract as well as lock and Keane never to be revealed. That reminds me of the, you know,
2: Silver's web attacks on Skyfall. Yeah. Very yeah. Much so the, uh, never mind the something or other.
4: I think it is worth saying, I know we kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier, but this is not a hagiographic piece about King Charles, which is, you know, no, no. for this event, it's like you don't have to be mad keen on the royal family. No. About- monarchy and whatever to really enjoy this book and great if you are but it's not it's not a prerequisite at all coming into this and i think that's i mean actually the book was originally going to raise money for the prince's trust But when the plot was around the assassination of King Charles, it was like, no, actually, we're not going to do this. (laughs) So um, it was actually the National Literacy Trust who, um, the sales of this, all the profits go to them, Mm. uh, which I think is brilliant because they're a fantastic organisation. But um, I think that's really difficult to do. And I think Charlie Higson, you know, is interested in the royal family from a kind of academic point of view and a British person's point of view. But I think that's quite difficult to kind of appease Every potential reader, um, so I think that's something that I think mm. we should, uh, we should definitely credit.
2: Yeah. We're here to celebrate the book. We said that when we started, we all enjoyed it to, well, different extents, but certainly, <laughs> we, we, we all got a lot out of it. We all enjoyed it when we read it. And I think Chris gonna, didn't
4: yeah. like seven words, <laughs> <It's> not <laughs> bad, good, is it? Out of four uh, thousand, that's yeah. not bad. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> seven words and the cover. Right, well, I,
4: right. I, I don't mind the cover. I think it's quite effective, personally.
2: I like the little crown. But yeah, I think Charlie Higson's done a great job and we're looking forward to his next books, I think. Hopefully there will be more of them in the future. This is a, a cracking read. I would recommend it to everybody. Forget what you've read on the internet, on these stupid YouTube sites where they open by saying, I haven't read the book. Don't bother with any of that. Just read it for yourself. I think whatever your politics are, you'll enjoy it. I do, if you just give it a chance. This is very James Bond, whatever people say. This is extremely in Fleming. It's extremely James Bond. I'd love to see a film of it, to be If I'm honest,
4: that would be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> Sorry to interject, Tom, but exactly what you've just said there, you know, if people actually do want to read the book and then want to despise it... Yeah, of course. I've not really got a problem with that. Yeah you know you know there are loads of books which i've read and then flung across the room quite literally wrong the bar <laughs> just like that was a load of what nonsense yeah. and you know it's like no why did i waste my life reading that i mean you know even if you you, know, you, you think about it from that point of view this is only 4 hours of your life yeah. So you know, the worst thing you can do is devote four hours of your life to this book and then decide you don't like it. What I take issue with are people posting random excerpts to suit their own agendas mm. online and then criticising an entire novel, which is just psychotic in my view. Well,
2: it's it's done deliberately to attack based on agenda, and the book is sort of caught in the crossfire. If you happen to do look at uh, follow David's Licence to Queer" Twitter because. He basically beats them in every argument by just sharing a bit of the Ian Fleming. And
4: I kept... I'm I'm in danger of kind of being branded a spammer at the moment. I think. Yeah.
0: yeah.
4: <laughs> every time, sort of whack-a-mole. Every time someone says Jay, you know, this novel is woke. I'm like, right. Ian Fleming says this, Ian Fleming says yeah. this, you know, and just keep posting the same thing over and over. So yeah, I'm more than happy to carry on providing that service. And Charlie
2: Hickson himself says, well, if, if I'm woke, I don't care. I have to be woke. So we will actually, we uh, speaking to Charlie. So we, we'll, we'll be doing that relatively soon. So David has already done an interview with him. I recommend everybody to watch or listen to that. Make uh, sure you
4: and... tell him all the words that Chris didn't like. Yeah, oh yeah. God. We, <laughs> we <we'll... laughs> I should have
3: told you that before. But, that, but... <laughs> yeah, can, I, can I join you for like the first two minutes? Yeah, you just can. Like <laughs> Apologise and then I'll go away. <laughs> Charlie, what do you say to those people who do not
4: like this language? <laughs> what was the phrase chris that you really hated back in the day
3: back in the day yeah back yeah. in the day there well, was it, there, there, yeah oh and uh, the uh oh more no, no. <laughs> waving skyscrapers yeah dick waving
5: yeah them. yeah yeah
4: <laughs> Yeah, i love that bit though because i always think that when i look at a skyline and think who was inadequate and had to build a building that big <laughs> absolutely manchester's
2: getting like that now i'll tell
3: you <laughs> uh, certainly is.
2: yeah Right. Well, guys, thank you so much. And especially our wonderful guests, Chris and David. You've been mm. outstanding with your incredible knowledge of the books. Two people have actually read them. And and again, oh. I keep saying it, but go out and read the Fleming. Go out and read mm continuation novels as well they're really enjoyable
4: i do genuinely think that life is too short to read books you don't enjoy there are so many books out there i have a rule and it's i read 50 pages and if i'm not into any book i will put it down and never return to it probably although having said that i've tried to read moby dick twice and always stopped at the same point um and james bond doesn't like moby dick either and um, so if that makes me a heathen then uh james bond's um in, in my club so You know, some of the Fleming books are stronger than others. Absolutely. I'm having the experience at the moment of enjoying them vicariously through Anthony, who has only read the first four books, um, but he's now going through them. And it's kind of like, you know, he loved this one, wasn't keen on that one and all that kind of stuff. You know, even if you've, you know, and what you said earlier, Math, I thought was kind of, in a sense kind of heartbreaking in a way you know that you feel (laughs) like you kind of you feel like you feel bad for not having read the Fleming books. You know, there's so many, as I said, there's so many things that we do feel bad about and beat ourselves up about. That certainly shouldn't be one of them. And I'm never going to guilt trip anyone, even though I'm an educator and reading is very important. Yeah, <laughs> I'm never going to, I'm never going to guilt trip people. And I, but I do genuinely believe it's that, you know, if that Bond book isn't for you and a lot of people, for instance, don't like Diamonds Forever because it doesn't really go anywhere. And that's absolutely true, but I like it for other reasons. But then pick up from Russia we love, which is just amazing and has, a, you know, and he's gripping from the first sentence. You know, I, I think that's the same thing with the Bond books. And I think when I first read them, I can't remember the exact sequence, but what I did is I read the opening, like first paragraph of each of them. I was like, right, whichever one interested me most, that was the one I read. And then eventually I worked my way through and then ended up reading Casino Royale last because I thought it was going to be boring because it just had a pack of cards on the front cover. And and it wasn't boring at all. It's one of my three favourites. So it just shows you you can you should not judge book by its cover. Certainly, but you know, read the. I always advise you know read the opening paragraphs. And if it's not, it doesn't grab you from there. Then try one of the other ones instead.
2: Couldn't have put it better. I agree. Fantastic. <laughs> this is a celebration of the James Bond books. We mm-hmm. are blessed, though, aren't we? With everything going on, we, yeah. even though we're fallow years in terms of the film productions. There's a heck of a lot to be sinking your teeth into. Go back and read them. Read them for the first time. Try them out, like David says. There's loads of great Bond uh, non-fiction books, some really interesting ones about the productions. We've spoken to some of the authors of of those. There's the Bond artwork. There's an ever-growing list of these pieces of literature, and we want to celebrate them all. And there's something for everyone in the Bond, I don't know, the Bond universe. For instance, you know, we don't all go in for the books. Some of us don't all go in for the expensive watches that, that Bond wears. But there is a time and place for that, and people love it. And I want to encourage whatever your slant on Bond is, I want to encourage you to develop it and really, really get others interested in it. It's infectious when you see people who love a particular niche of the Bond community, hmm. uh, or the aspects of the character, the books, the novels. That really grabs me, as uh, as Roger Moore says to Jaws. <laughs> there we go. End with a Fleming, uh, Fleming quote. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much. Uh, <laughs> Now I've really enjoyed it, and we will eventually. We, we've you know we've spent nearly a year trying to finish the dine of the day review recording, which I honestly spent, think we spent about two hours on the Raver Benson novelization. Rob just basically runs through every like, in in the Benson. This is what's going on. <laughs> You've got that to look forward to, but at some point we will do reading the a section on reading the actual original novels and the continuation novels. But for now. Mm. Did we Rob really spot- enjoyed this, this one Rob's- on his Majesty's Secret Service I can recommend it to everybody sorry did Rob spot the kimchi no we haven't got to that yet
4: what <laughs> like the fourth chapter
2: well we've been mainly concentrating on the the beach scene and the the lovemaking scene as you might yeah,
4: have expected, so,
2: yeah. <laughs> we'll ask him about that David and we'll try and we'll try and edit it in somehow
4: I was going to say you're going to have to you're going to have to go back to the start and do it all again yeah <laughs>
2: Probably well, done about twenty hours so far, so yeah. <laughs> oh, <good.
0: laughs> oh, <that'll
5: be>
2: <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you very much guys. Take care. Cheers.
5: Cheers. Cheers. Really